www.thepraying-angels.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Sir, we'll wait and see if he can come online and Hello, Mr. Producer, are you there? 
Brother Kevin, that song was a total mess. Two, I know we're live. We're talking about it. Were there two songs playing at the same time? From... Okay, well, let's start over, and let's play that song. I want people to hear this beautiful song, and I'm not willing to let technical difficulties block this incredible song. So uh, you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley, and Mr. Kevin is our producer, and he does an awesome job. And he's working with us. I want you to hear this song without the devil being able to mess it up. So, uh, Brother Kevin, let's play that song again.
Our phone number here in studio is 877-534-0780. I'm going to welcome you at the very beginning to call today and share what Jesus is doing in your life today. And what has he done in your life this week? You're welcome to call 877-534-0780. This song, I Need Thee Every Hour, has been playing in my heart now for almost two weeks. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Not in a a sentimental way. I need him to come to rescue his people. I need him to come change what's happening in America. I need Jesus. I need Jesus to come and change what's happening in the modern church. The dead worship of signs instead of of Jesus. The entertainment, the, the foolishness, the casualness. I need Jesus. And I need Jesus to come for you and for me. I need him to come and give me the fullness of his Holy Spirit. Now, all week I've been speaking with you out of the book of Mark. We've been looking at the school of the Holy Spirit as Jesus is teaching and rebuking his disciples. They had a crowd, thousands of people, perhaps 10,000 plus. We know there were 5,000 men. They only counted the men, but the women and the children were certainly there. The people are hungry, so Jesus has them sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties, he divided them, and then he begins to break apart the fish and the loaves, and they multiply in his hands. And when they're finished, they have twelve basketfuls of bread and fish. Now the disciples don't understand what Jesus is saying. He, they totally miss what he's trying to do. He makes them get in the boat and begin to cross the lake, and he dismisses the crowd, forcefully dismisses them. They want to take him and make him king. Instead, he retires to the mountainside to pray, and he prays there until the fourth watch. That's the last watch of the night. I wonder what he prayed. I wonder what what the words were spoken between Jesus, the Son of God, and the Father. I wish I could have heard those words. But finally, when evening comes, 
It's dark on the lake. It's been all night. They're working. They're rowing the boat across the lake, and the wind is against them. I'm sure they thought it strange that Jesus was not in the boat with them, but Jesus is setting up a scenario to deal with the hardness of their hearts. Oh, that Jesus would set up what is necessary to deal with the hardness of our hearts today. I need Jesus. They see Jesus walking on the water, and it looks like he's going to pass them by. Why would Jesus even consider passing by his disciples? Well, we learn. In Mark, the sixth chapter, verse five, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts, their hearts were hardened. That is, their hearts were stupefied, dumbed down like a stone. Now, again, in chapter seven, he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus is saying, look, you can be very, very religious. My disciples have even given up all their life to come and follow me. But they're still hard-hearted. They're still stupefied. They're dumbed down. They don't understand. And then there's a discussion about the clean and the unclean. And Jesus speaks to this issue. He says to his disciples, are you so dull? He's just said to them, they're hardened, they're stupefied. And now on this issue of clean and unclean, they come asking him foolish questions. And he says to them, are you so dull? Are you so dumbed down that you don't even understand the simplest things of the gospel? He said, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then on out of his body. Mark seven twenty. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within and out of a man's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come out from inside and make a man unclean. As you read continuously from Mark 1, and you just read all the way through the book of Mark, it's very clear that Jesus is driving at something. He's trying to open the eyes of those who are listening. He's trying to open their ears so that they can begin to catch this truth. And I said, oh, Jesus, I'm dumbed down too. Will you open my eyes and will you open my ears so I can understand? 
the greatest fear I have is that I will come to the end of time in my life and still not understand the deep things of Jesus, still not understand the simplest things of Jesus. Chapter 8, Jesus feeds another crowd, this time pagans. He feeds 4,000 of them, probably just 4,000 men and another four or 5,000 women and children. He has compassion on them. They've been there with him for three days as he teaches them about the gospel. He teaches them about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And when they're finished eating, he picks up seven basketfuls, meaning total provision is, is provided for the Gentiles. And then the Pharisees come and they begin to question Jesus to test him. And they ask him for a sign from heaven. And he sighs deeply. He groans. And he says, no sign is going to be given to you. You just saw the bread. You just saw the sign of the son of the living God. My body is the bread, he said. He just, he walks away from him. And he says to his disciples, Be careful, Jesus said. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Look out for this, this superficial understanding of what the gospel is about that allows you to continue serving yourself and continue to be about your desires and your goals and your objectives and your ambitions. Be careful of that, he's saying. They think that he's talking to them about, about the, the bread. And he says, do you still not understand? Their hearts are hardened. They're dumbed down. Their hearts are, are like a rock. says these words and I want to read them to you he calls the crowd and calls his disciples this is a word to all men and women if anyone would come after me he must deny himself that word deny in the Greek is the same word used for must disown himself. Must forget that he knows that person. He must leave that person behind. He must no longer have anything to do with that person. He must walk away from them. Jesus is saying, look, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to walk away from yourself. You're going to have to deny that you, yourself that, that you could know me. And he must take up his cross. And he must follow me. That word, take up his cross, it's a nautical term. It literally means 
You've got to weigh your anchor. You've got to pull up what holds you in place. You've got to pull up what anchors you. And you must follow me. Now, where I'm struggling with this issue in my own life and now for you in your life is that Jesus can be a very nice add-on to an already full life. We can even serve Jesus and still be in charge of our life, deciding what we'll do and where we'll go and how we'll act. We're in charge of our Christian experience. And Jesus is saying no. You're going to have to disown yourself. Everything's going to shift and change. Because suddenly, no longer will you ever again be concerned, first and foremost, for yourself. You are now going to be used by God. You are now going to be poured out by God as a drink offering. Your life now belongs to Jesus. And you are now going to focus on doing what he wants you to do. And you're going to turn away from the darkness. You're going to deny that you ever knew you. You are going to be a stranger to yourself. You are going to serve Jesus with your money, with your time, with your energy. You're going to serve your family. You're going to serve your husband, your wife. You're going to serve others. You're going to have your life poured out by God to love others. He says to Peter, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. That's why he said, get behind me, Satan. Now, please, we need Jesus right now. We need him to help us. In fact, to give us the ability to disown ourselves and to begin to focus on Jesus and how he wants to pour us out. My life is not mine. My life is not my own. It belongs to Jesus. So there is one part that is a total, complete cleansing, a washing, a scrubbing, that all sin would be removed. And that's a work that Jesus does in us by grace. But then we also have to allow him to have full control and full authority and full power over how we relate to others. I no longer have the right to become angry and bitter. I no longer have the right to speak harshly to another. I no longer have the right to my life. My life belongs to Jesus. We find 
that Jesus takes Peter and James and John and they go to the top of the high mountain. And there he is totally changed in front of them. He's clothed in his heavenly garments. He is transformed, he is transfigured before them. It is dazzling, it is glorious. And Elijah and Moses come and speak with Jesus, no doubt encouraging him in the journey that must soon take him to the cross. And Peter speaks up. He says, Rabbi, if it's good for us to be here, let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And a cloud appeared and enveloped them. And a voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Peter, don't listen to your own sense of what should happen. Listen to Jesus. He'll tell you what he wants you to do. He didn't tell you to build three shelters. They're not going to stay that long. You're headed back down the mountain. You can't build a shelter on top of the mountain. You've got to go back down to where the battle is. Now, as they come down the mountain, they see a large crowd. And around the disciples are the teachers of the law, and they're all having a big argument. And as soon as the people see Jesus coming, it says they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran toward him. And a man in the crowd running with them. And Jesus asks them, what are you arguing about? And the man in the crowd answers, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. And, when, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and he gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Listen to Jesus' reply. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirits see Jesus, they throw the boy into a convulsion. And he falls to the ground and he rolls around foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asks the man's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the water or the fire to try to kill him. But if you can do anything, Jesus, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help overcome, help me overcome my unbelief. Now, what we see here is laid out in detail because the disciples were not able to exercise control over this demon and heal this boy. Why? 
because they are operating out of their own sense of justice and their own agenda. It's almost as though it were a contest for them. Let's see who can cast this demon out and that person will be the greatest. So none of them could cast the demon out. Jesus casts the demon out. He restores the boy to his father. And then he goes on with his disciples and they go inside of a home and they sit together and they say to Jesus, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. What's that answer mean? It means that you can exercise no power in the spirit realm as long as you are not denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. Prayer is the place where we confess our sins. Prayer is the place where we humble our hearts. Some of you today are utterly miserable. Some of you are happy, just numbed out with the alcohol of this life. Jesus is calling us to something much different. He is calling us to begin to pray and to fast, to deny ourselves so that we can begin to make the transition into denying ourselves and being fully poured out by Jesus for the sake of a little boy who is suffering under the demonic. So they leave that place and they pass on through Galilee. They're walking together. And he begins to try to talk to them about what is on his heart. And what's on Jesus' heart is what he must do when he gets to Jerusalem. What's on his heart is that he's going to have to suffer and die. That he's going to be separated from his father and from his disciples and from his mother, from his family. It's heavy on Jesus that he's going to be crucified. Incredibly painful execution, torture. They couldn't understand what he was talking about as he tried to tell them that after three days in the grave he would rise from the dead. They couldn't understand what Jesus was talking about. Well, why couldn't they understand and why couldn't they cast this demon out? Well, we get the answer. They're arguing. The disciples are having an argument even as Jesus is trying to talk with them. And what are they arguing about? Jesus asks them that question. What were you arguing about on the road? But everybody kept quiet. Nobody talked. Because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest among the disciples. You see, you can't understand the deep things of God and argue about who is the greatest. You can't do it. 
You cannot understand the deep things of God and argue about who is the greatest. See, there is a, and I confess to you today, an inability on my part because I've not yet had the time necessary in prayer and fasting to be able to share this with you. So I simply share it the best way I can, coming and admitting my my lack. I'm like a wounded healer. I beg God to heal my wounds even as I'm applying the medicine to heal your wounds. There is a place where we must utterly and completely and finally give up all authority and all control over our lives to Jesus Christ. It is extremely difficult because all of our lives we've been in charge. But Jesus is asking us to move out of our lives to deny that we even know ourselves and give to him full authority to rule over our hearts and over our lives. And he's trying to teach them. This is in the 10th chapter. Verse 42. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That brings us to an amazing story in the Scriptures. And by the way, you're welcome to call. I'd be happy to talk with you or pray with you. I'd be happy to hear what God is doing in your life this week. Eight seven seven five three four zero seven eight zero. They were on the road again walking and they came to Jericho. As you know, the path through Jericho, the road goes straight on to Jerusalem. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a, lo- a large crowd, were, were leaving the city, there was a blind man, Bartimaeus, He was sitting beside the road begging. He was trying to collect enough alms to care for his own life, his food, his shelter. No doubt his family brought him there each day and left him to sit and beg. He is considered the least 
of the people. He is blind, so they believe that God has cursed him. It is a lowly thing to do, to sit and beg. And he suddenly hears that that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, no doubt he has heard the gossip about Jesus of Nazareth. He has no doubt heard how Jesus has opened the eyes of the blind and has healed the sick and the dying. And he begins to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He shouts at the top of his lungs. And the people passing by, they rebuke him and tell him, be quiet. But the more they rebuked him, the more he shouted, son of David, have mercy on me. I want you to get this picture. Are you too sophisticated to cry out to Jesus and ask him to have mercy? Do you have any sense of why you might need the mercy of God? Are you so caught? Are you so full of self? Let me read this to you again. If anyone would come after me, he must disown himself and weigh his anchor, and come and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Let's apply it to this blind man. You want to see? Then cry out, Have mercy on me, O God. Deny yourself the privilege of sitting there quietly with your little bag hanging out, waiting for someone to come and drop a quarter in. Give up your life. Deny your begging life. Cry out for something different. Urgently cry out. Some of you are just sitting back in jobs you hate, not crying out. Because it would offend your sense of dignity to admit your desperate need. Some of you are in financial situations that are utterly impossible, but you don't cry out. You're too proud. And nothing will happen anyway. You might as well just endure. Some of you are being treated very unfairly by someone in the family or someone at work. You don't cry out. Your own heart rises up with questions with desperate needs, but do you cry out? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Or would you be embarrassed to cry out? Would you be afraid someone would hear you and think you were praying? Are you kidding me? We want our prayers to be modulated and polite. We listen to the beautiful prayers that the preacher prays. Give me a break. 
It says, whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Are you willing to lose your life for the gospel of Jesus Christ by beginning to recognize the hardness of your heart, the deadness of your mind? Are you willing to turn aside from the wickedness of this world and begin to just give yourself wholly unto Jesus, crying out, Lord God, have mercy upon me? It says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. What's it mean? If someone is ashamed of me, it means if someone is quiet about me. carefully modulates their voice so no one will suspect that they are a sold-out, desperately in need person for Jesus. This man was willing to embarrass himself for the possibility that he could be healed of his eyes being blind. What are you willing to do that the eyesight could be restored to you? Oh, my brother, my sister, we're so proud, so self-sufficient, so content in our little world that we've created for ourselves. We have feathered our nest very well. We've learned how to deal with our circumstances and our situations. We're not going to cry out, are we? That might upset somebody. Oh, what would happen if if we just didn't care anymore about who we upset and we began to cry out and admit our need for Jesus? I need Jesus. I desperately need Jesus. I need him to give me the words to speak. I need him to give me the comfort in my heart. The assurance that I am totally his and no one else's. I need him to come and breathe into me the breath of life. I need him to come and order my steps according to his will. I need him to come and show me how not to be selfish, but to be selfless in his service. I need him to come and show me how to make him the center and not me the center. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. What road are you sitting beside today in your blindness? Hoping, hoping that things can change, hoping that, you know, time will tell. You know what time will tell you? Time will tell you that you're growing old and dying. That's all time's going to tell you. 
I sat and talked with an old boy today, 72 years old, ex-Navy. I said to him, what do you do with your time? He said, oh, I fiddle around. I said, why'd you retire? He said, oh, because I had enough money and I, I wanted to just go travel and enjoy life. This man looks like he has one foot in the grave. Aimless. Nowhere to go. Waiting to die and hoping to squeeze a few more days of pleasure out of this life. Unshaven, dressed in rags. Waiting to die. What road are you sitting beside? Are you sitting beside the Pentagon Road? Or are you sitting beside the, the Bank Road? Or are you sitting beside the Church Road? Are you sitting beside the Job Road? And you're miserable. And you're mad. Or are you fat and happy and you can make it through. I'm not willing to live that way. I need Jesus. And when you start crying out for Jesus, people are going to tell you you're becoming a fanatic. They're going to tell you to shut up. They're going to tell you, don't talk to me about that. They're going to say, leave me alone. I don't want to I don't want to deal with that. Somebody said to me recently, let's not talk about that, Pastor. Oh, all right. Let's see, what would you like to talk about? Shall we talk about the weather? Shall we talk about the football? Shall we talk what shall we talk about? No, I want to talk about Jesus. He's the only one I'm interested in talking about. As they're telling him to shut up, he increases the volume of his cry. He increases the desperate need. Pride is utterly cast into the dust where he sits. He has lost all of his pride. All he has left is a desperate need to see. Until you have this desperate need to see. Until you leave the camp the disciples were in where they would argue about who would be the greatest as they walked down the road. Until you leave behind the sense that you can take care of yourself, that you're self-sufficient, until you can cast your pride into the dirt and into the dust, you're not going to cry out for Jesus. To admit that you need someone is to admit that you're weak.
And above all things, we do not want to admit that we're weak, do we? He goes on and suddenly stops. He hears the voice of this man over the tumult of the crowd. All he can hear is, Son of David, have mercy upon me. Son of David, have mercy upon me. Jesus, 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 have mercy upon me. And Jesus says, call him. They call to the blind man, and they say, Hey, cheer up, get on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumps to his feet, and he comes to Jesus. Now please understand, the most valuable object he possesses is his cloak. He casts it off as if it's nothing. He's blind. How is he going to find his way back to where his cloak is? He's going to freeze that night in his blindness. comes to Jesus. And Jesus asks him a very simple question. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight, and he began following Jesus along the road. Oh, I want to hear. I want to hear that Jesus is calling me. He has called me many times. And many times I've thrown off everything I had. And I've gone to Jesus, and he has said to me, What do you want? What do you want? How would you answer that question today? I would answer that question, Jesus. I want to see. I want to see you, Jesus, in all of your glory, in all of your majesty, in all of your power. I want to see you, Jesus, because if I don't see you, everything is dead. Nothing's going to happen. I fix my eyes today on Jesus Christ. Will you do the same? Will you give up feeling sorry for yourself? Will you give up being a victim? Will you give up being entitled? Will you give up being angry? Will you give up being poor? Will you give up everything? Will you give up your pride? And will you say, I need Jesus? I need to see you, Jesus. We're out of time for today. Let me give you our mailing address. It's the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You're welcome to come and worship with us. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. 
nationalprayerchapel.com. Almighty Jesus, I plead for your people today that we together could see your glory. Come with power now, Jesus. Come and let us be healed by your word. Deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I love you, my brother and sister. I want you to I want you to go to Jesus. I'll talk to you soon.